0: Let's turn your Bibles, turn them on, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. When you find that, say, I got it. The word of the Lord comes to us from the English Standard Version reading. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Continuing in our series entitled The Gospel of the Kingdom, today we want to talk about the king's speech. The king's speech. Now, brothers and sisters, when a leader of a nation speaks those who are subjects or citizens often listen intently to that which is said or implied. Every word that comes from the leader's mouth is scrutinized, analyzed, and otherwise dissected by those who agree and especially by those who disagree. Amen? Currently, In our nation, the speech of our leaders seems to have devolved into an often nasty and disrespectful political jargon as leaders snipe back and forth while the citizens try to determine who is telling the truth. Truth. That is the key. It is the thing we want most from our leaders to speak truth. And to live as examples of the truth they speak. Our society seems to have a great resistance to truth. The sinful hearts of human beings make for great truth repellent. Because of our inclination towards sin. We embrace the lie and we resist the truth. Satan tempts us into a false reality, one that is rife with images of that which is not real. We are so inundated and driven towards falsehood that when our leaders speak, we assume lies drip from their lips. It is indeed a precarious existence when we cannot trust anyone's word we desire our leaders to be worthy of trust but time and time again we find that even those who we consider great possess great failings as well now this is not new among human leaders there are far too many examples of leaders whom we believe to be great that upon closer examination possess a flaw or flaws that taints their public image. I could spend all day on just that point. The best we can hope for is a transformed leader changed by the power of the gospel and committed to righteousness as a way of life. Yet here in our text, we find that which is inherently divine and not subject to the sinful or inca- ways or inclinations of the human heart. The king in our text is a true king of kings, one who is not only a conqueror of all things sinful, but also a risen Lord and a conqueror of death itself. We Christians have a trustworthy king who delivers the truth to those whom he loves and calls to follow him. This glorious king, risen from the dead, just as he said, is now standing before those whose lives were most affected by his words. From him, they heard. Things like, love your neighbor as as yourself. From him, they heard on the side of a mountain one day, they heard him say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. From him they heard, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They heard, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They heard, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When I get to yours, just say something. They heard, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. They heard him say blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. They heard him say blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No one in their world had ever spoken like this resurrected king. No one had ever told them that they were the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Prior to his horrifying crucifixion, he spoke to them in ways that changed their perspective on who God is and who they were as those who followed God. From this king, they learned that God was a father that loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for the sin of humanity. From this king, they learned to know a righteous father and that love was the key piece to a relationship with him and with each other. They had never been challenged to follow anyone that included taking up a cross, And denying yourself? They had never heard anyone speak in such ways to love one another as I have loved you so that all men will know that you are my disciples. They had not heard this. In essence, this king's speech and his life redefined their faith and perception of God. So here it is. They stand at the hilly place where our resurrected king instructed them to meet him. Then they see him, firstborn of the dead, a holy savior and the conqueror of man's biggest enemy, death. Matthew gives us words. To describe this encounter. in Verse 16. He says this. Now the eleven disciples went up to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And in verse 17. And when they had saw him they worshiped him. But some doubted. They saw him. And immediately some of them, recognizing the magnitude of seeing our glorious king who was crucified but now is alive, bowed down to him in worship. Now the question that arises before us is a simple one, saints. Matthew says they worshiped him, but some doubted but some doubted. Now, this phrase presents an exegetical and theological challenge to us. What does Matthew mean by saying some doubted? And if some did doubt, who indeed does Matthew describe by using the plural pl- pronoun of they? Could there be any doubters among the eleven who had already witnessed our King? In his resurrected state, in fact, we are told in the other Gospels that Peter had seen Jesus three times. Thomas at least once, and the rest saw him twice. So how is it they doubted, since they knew he was risen? Now to answer this important question, consider for a moment what Matthew is describing Matthew describes a scene where likely just 11 of our Lord's disciples gather in the instructed place to meet our king. Now, some commentators suggest that more than the 11 were present, but there is no textual evidence to support that claim. Now, within this group, this group of 11, there are some who immediately worship and some who Matthew says doubted. Now, let us dissect this word doubted. In our vernacular, in our everyday speech, we hear doubt and we immediately associate this with unbelief. Somebody tells us they won the lottery, I doubt it. And what we're really saying is, we do not believe you. As if, when we hear this word doubt in this text, when we read it, it's as if they did not believe it was Jesus before them. But this, but this word for doubt in the there's this word for doubt in the Greek New Testament is a word called distazo. And more readily refers to hesitation rather than disbelief or unbelief. It is very likely the reference disciples here hesitated rather than disbelieve. If indeed that is the case, what was the reason for their hesitation? For the answer, let us return to the action word that's in this verse. The action word there is worshipped. Right? The activity was worship and not belief. There were some among them who hesitated to worship Jesus. Even though they knew he was risen. There was a moment of hesitation in them can you imagine them saying in that moment should I fall to my knees and acknowledge this resurrected Jesus as my Lord and my Savior now there are some even today in this room who believe but are hesitant to worship are you going to pray with me today There are some sitting here today who believe he is Lord, but we are hesitant to worship. Isn't that just like us? We believe he is risen, but the Sunday after packing out the church for celebrating his resurrection, (laughs) We have gone into what I call excitement and celebration remission. <laughs> Usually, remission is a good word, right? <laughs> but in its case, all of our excitement, all of our celebration, all of our praise God, the Lord is risen. Where is it the Sunday after? Where's our enthusiasm for our King? Two weeks after easter where is it can you take 10 seconds and just give god a hand clap of praise just show them show the world that that you still have some enthusiasm here's what i want you to do if you got facebook or you got twitter i want you to tweet this out i want you to tweet this out hashtag still excited after easter I want you to tweet that out. Still excited. I'm still excited. Look at your neighbor. I'm still excited. I don't... I may not look like it this morning, but I'm still excited after Easter. So, but there, there are some people who when they encounter the truth of the gospel, they become immediate worshipers. They fall on their knees and give him the Praise. They are not ashamed to let the world know he is my God, my king, risen just like he said. And here we are in this text during a spontaneous moment of worship. The king of kings begins to speak to them. He shares with them words that will change their lives forever and change the course of human history. Matthew records these words in verses 18 through 20 as a summation of the four major themes of his gospel. Now, if you want to know what the four major themes of Matthew's gospel is, here it is right here. The gospel of Jesus is becoming universal and not just for one people group. Matthew wants to know that. Second thing is discipleship. And the establishment of the church is a part of these verses. The third thing is the command of the king upon Christians. And the fourth thing is the abiding presence of the king. Now, in, in examining these verses, we discover three major themes in our resurrected King's speech. To his followers regarding that mission. Now here's the first thing that we discover. We discover the empowerment for the mission. The authority of Jesus. Verse 18 says. And Jesus came and said to them. All authority. Now, underline that in your Bible, highlighted on your phone, whatever the case may be. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The king tells them he has all authority. Now, the Greek word for authority here is exousia, which means the freedom to act and the lawful authority for the action. Our Lord establishes that he and he alone standing before them has all authority over all things. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus has all authority. As God incarnate, Jesus has authority while he was here on earth. But, but this is different. Something has changed he now has been given only what the Father could give him, authority over the earth, and watch this, and heaven. In his wilderness temptation, Satan tried to offer him the kingdoms of the world, but he could not give him heaven. He said, look out, and all these kingdoms of the world I'll give you if you bow down to me, but he couldn't give him heaven. By virtue of his obedience to the Father's will and his victory over sin and death, he now possesses lawful authority over all things, heaven and earth. This authority is such that Paul describes it in a powerful way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, therefore, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, That is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. One day, brothers and sisters, all will bow. The worst terrorists will bow. Those who wreak havoc on society will bow. The prideful must bow. Your worst enemy will bow. Every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now the authority of Jesus is the empowerment of our mission, for our mission that he is describing here. Now, we need to look at the essence of this mission. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you in verse 20. Now, every military operation, how many soldiers I have in here? All right. Now, see, I didn't say U.S. Amen. Thank you for your service to the U.S. government and the citizens of this country. But I didn't say U.S. soldier. I said, how many soldiers I have in here? That's better. We thank God for our veterans. But every Christian in here ought to be a soldier of the... Every military operation must have a purpose, and every soldier should understand the purpose or essence of their mission. We are no different here in the body of Christ. We must understand our mission. The church in America is lost because we have moved away from our mission. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, mm-hmm, that's right. I'm going to let that marinate in your heart for just a minute. The church in America has moved away from our mission. We've forgotten this mandate that our Lord King delivered to the first troops over 2,000 years ago. What is the imperative of this mission? What is the thing we must do? We must Make disciples. Look at somebody and tell them, make disciples. Now, just these two words. We are so busy making other things as the body of Christ in America. Let me just share with you some things that we're busy making. We are making a, busy making a name for ourselves. Oh, you got to love me. I'm a child of God. I'm blessed and highly favored. You're telling everybody how great you are. You're busy making a name for yourself. We're busy as a church in America making buildings. Don't we make some glorious buildings? Sure we do. We build these glorious and beautiful cathedrals and all of these things. And they become only a testimony to our own religiosity. Here's something else. You're mad at me on this one. But the church today, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people. We are too busy making political statements. See, some of y'all didn't clap on that, but that's all right. We're too busy making statements in the kingdom of man that we're ignoring the kingdom of God. Here's the other thing that we are making. Unfortunately, in the church today, we are making Christ smaller in the minds of people. Our goal is to make Christ bigger. We ought to make Christ larger. We ought to have a John the Baptist spirit that said, Here comes the one whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie or to tie up. We ought to have the same spirit that it says that, that he must increase and I must decrease. The work of the body of Christ is to answer the imperative of our mission to make disciples. The Greek New Testament text is just like the English, using a strong imperative, make disciples. Jesus leaves no room for compromise in this text. The church, his new church, is on a mission, a mission to make disciples. So how do we make disciples? We need to understand the three imperatives of disciple making. I'm going to give them to you right now. First one is this. The great commission is a goal mission. Get that in your spirit. The great commission is a go mission. Jesus tells these first soldiers to go. He says it to them. And the king still speaks the same to us today. Whether Jesus is calling us to go somewhere different, to make disciples like missionaries, or is he calling us to go, or as we go on living our lives, to make disciples, both of those are imperative to the disciple-making process. Both of them involve leaving Your comfort zone. Oh, we like comfort, don't we? Let's get some comfortable chairs in the church. Let's get some comfortable things in the church. We love comfort. But Christ is calling you to leave your comfort zone. I might have to preach this by myself this morning. I see that. If the Lord calls you to overseas mission, that involves leaving your comfort zone. We saw the video of the missionaries that are working in places like Malaysia, working in Vanuatu, working in Atlanta, all these places God has called people to go to leave their comfort zone. But listen to this. If you go to the market, then understand that our Lord is calling you to share in the production of, of, of the gospel, and the advancement of the gospel, if you have to share Christ in the produce aisle Amen. or the deli or the bake. When I get to yours, just say something. If you got to tell Jesus, somebody about Jesus while you're picking up a box of Fruit Loops, you're called to leave your comfort zone. The commission is a go mission. Now, another imperative about making disciples is this. The mission is a water mission. It's a water mission. What do I mean by that? The king gives us a second element regarding the essence of our mission. Our Lord calls his first soldiers to go and he says to baptize those who believe. The water does not bring salvation. That comes by faith alone. But you know what the baptism says? The baptism says I'm all in. The baptism says, I'm committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be made in his image, and I want the world to know it. To be a disciple means to submit. We baptize and are baptized ourselves because Christ commands us to do so. Right after this service today, we're going to the gym to baptize. And we're going to baptize a man 95 years old. Come on, bless the Lord today. We're going to baptize a little boy. Hallelujah. We at the old and the young, all coming to Jesus. Come on, somebody ought to celebrate the Lord today. I'm, by the way, I'm just going to throw this in free. I'm about to to talk to Brother and Sister Harper about the age of the, the senior class. Fifty-five. They might have to raise that a little bit, cause I'm just saying it. In, in about in about three and a half weeks, I'll be right there. <laughs> They're gonna be looking for me on Wednesday morning. <laughs> so, right this mission this mission here's the third imperative this mission is not just a water mission this mission is a teaching and training mission the king adds one more element to the essence of our mission that is the imperative to teach our king calls his first soldiers in this text to teach but not to just teach anything on the contrary without a school board directive He gives them the curriculum. Teach them what I have taught you. Don't go beyond it. Don't go around it. Don't try to go over it and don't try to go under it. Teach them what I have taught you. Teach them what I've commanded you. Teach them to observe or hold dear everything I gave you. The anchor of My word will hold fast the ship of your life. When the seas get rough and when the strong winds blow, when the storms of life rage, my word will be your anchor. This taught word will hold fast your soul to the point where you can say that if the storms don't cease, if the billows keep on rolling in my life, you can say with great confidence, my soul is anchored in the Lord. The King calls us to teach, teach what He taught, like He taught. Teach with purpose and teach with humility, his word and not our own words. We struggle, my brothers and sisters, because there is so much false doctrine. There's so much false doctrine that's out there. People to have your head spinning, just because somebody's on TV or Facebook live. Just because they have a podium and a microphone doesn't mean that they're right. You better examine what you hear by the word of God. Take everything back to the scriptures. Do I have a witness here? We got to find the teachers who are willing to teach the truth of God's word unashamed. Finally, the the last major theme of this speech that the king gives. The last major theme is this. The encouragement for the mission. He says this, and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. And behold I am with you always to the end of Of the age. Now over the course. Of human history. Some of the greatest speeches. Contained. Timeless encouragement. That extended far beyond. The life of the speaker. And as I. Perused great speeches of inspiration. From leaders. Like Alexander the Great. George Washington. Winston Churchill. Franklin Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And notice that none of them contained a promise to stand with the listener beyond the days of the speaker's life. Watch this now. No great orator promised to be with their audience forever. Dr. King in all of the oratorical greatness of his last speech on April the 3rd 1968 said words that will live beyond him he said like anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you but I want you to know tonight that we as a people we will get to the promised land even Dr. King knew that though he could encourage the hope of victory over racial injustice he could not promise his abiding presence with those who fought hard For justice in America. But thanks be to God that our king, the king of kings, the resurrected king stood plainly and boldly on the mountainside and he made us a promise. He said, and behold, as you carry out this mission, y'all, behold, as you make disciples, Behold, as you baptize and teach them, behold, I am with you. You don't have to carry a memory of me. I'm with you. I'm with you. When disciple-making makes you cry, I'm with you. Can't you hear him now? When your enemies say, you can't teach my word in public. I am with you. When evil is on every hand, I am with you. When your mother and your father forsake you, I am with you. When your friends turn their backs on you, I am with you. When men say all matter of evil against you, I am with you. When you don't understand why sometimes you just have to cry, I'm with you then. When you don't understand why sometimes you feel like you're all alone, I am with you. If Jesus was here today, he might say this. You out here in these streets and you're looking for your ride or die. Don't y'all act like y'all never heard that before. You want to know who's your ride or die. You're looking for the one that'll be with you to the end. You're looking for your ride or die friend. You're looking for somebody that'll stand with you. Jesus is saying, don't sleep on me. I'm better than a ride or die. See, I'm not just a ride or die. I'm a ride, die, and rise again. That's who I am. I'll be with you to the end of the age. But the king was not done. He knew some of us might have wondered, how long will you be with us? So he added this final encouraging word. I'm with you to the end of the age. As long as you need me, I'm there. Until I return for my church in the rapture, I am there. How long? I'm with my people forever. I am going to be with you. When no one else will. I am going to be there until the end of the age. Isn't it good to know, saints, that we have a Savior that will be with us through everything, no matter what, to the end of the age we can call on him? We used to sing a little song when I was growing up and say, if you call on the Lord, he'll work it out. If you ever had problems, you can call on the Lord and he will work it out. The king's speech is to tell you, his army, that he is in the business of being with you forever as you carry out your mission. Come on, give the Lord some praise in here today. Come on, give the Lord some praise in here today. The Lord is good and He's worthy. He's worthy to be praised.